Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Yeah, I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt. If you're new with us, uh, welcome. Great to have you with us. Um, here's a question for you this morning as we think in the Matthew chapter 12. When can you break the law and get away with it? Uh, when can you break the law and get away with it? Uh, someone was telling me uh, this week, you can do it as you shop at supermarkets, at the checkout, at the self-serve checkout. I don't recommend this, but you... People steal, right? As you go through the self-serve checkout, you put the cheap fruit in the weighing thing and take the expensive fruit uh, and you can get away with it. Uh, lots of us speed and, and we get away with it. Some of you might have sped this morning to get to church. Um, you can get away with it. When, when have you broken the law and realised, I've actually got away with it? Uh, when have you seen other people break the law and get away with it? Uh, as Kara said, we're going to go through, we're heading through Matthew's biography of Jesus' life this morning. Uh, and there's a point here in Matthew 12 where Jesus is accused of breaking the law. That's significant. Uh, is Jesus guilty? He's meant to be the perfect law keeper. Uh, his work for us on our behalf relies on that. And here he is being challenged on work and rest work and rest. And we're going to be challenged on work and rest this morning as well. And that's a huge topic, isn't it? Uh, Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that's your whole week, isn't it? How do you do work and how do you do rest? Uh, That's your whole year. You're either working or you're resting. There's only really two options, isn't there? Uh, As a disciple of Jesus, uh, have you understood work and rest in a way that would please Jesus? Well, before we begin this morning, I want to um, take us back to some Old Testament background, which I think is helpful for Matthew chapter 12, and it's got to do with the word Sabbath. Um, I don't think we use that word Sabbath very often these days. Um, some, someone said to me this week, uh, Black Sabbath, the band. Does anyone remember that band? Ozzy Osbourne was part of that band. Uh, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Uh, it's the idea in the Bible of a rest day. Uh, that you would down tools for a day, that you would rest from your work. And it's in the law for God's people. So Exodus chapter 20, we read it in Deuteronomy. Let me read it for you in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Everyone's going to take a rest for one day a week. Uh, Why? Verse 11, it goes on, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. This is God's pattern. Uh, He made the earth, the sea and all that's in it, but he rested on the seventh day. Uh, Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it's built into creation yeah it's actually part of the way God did things and the part of the way he wants us to do things Genesis 1 God made the world in six days on the seventh day he rests 
And so he wants his people to be like him. Six days you will work, one day you will rest. It's actually one of the ways that God's people will be holy, will be set apart. That's what holy means. Different from the nations. Who were the nations? The nations were the nations that worked seven days a week or perhaps worked no days a week. But if you're one of God's people, here's two things that God hates. A bludger and a workaholic. God was serious about this. Uh, So Exodus 31, listen to these words. For six days work is to be done. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. Aren't you glad that we don't live in the old covenant? (laughs) That is heavy stuff, isn't it? God is serious about this community of work and rest and health and part of his creation, modelling what he is like. You know, there's still Jews to this day still true in Jerusalem to this day, law around the Sabbath, one day a week, what you can and what you can't do. You know, there are many Jews who don't have that view of Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath. Many Jews who are very, very careful in defining when is work, work. Uh, It's an endless question, isn't it? Uh, Would it be work to walk to the synagogue? How far can you walk to the synagogue before it becomes work? Uh, Is brushing your hair on the Sabbath day? How long can you brush your hair on the Sabbath day before that becomes work? Some would say you can't even look in the mirror because that is work. That is hard work for some people. You know, if you go to certain parts of of the eastern suburbs of Sydney, on the Sabbath day, on the Saturday, on from Friday to Saturday night, uh, things become automated. Pedestrian crossings, light switches in in synagogues, because it would be work to switch a switch. Can you see where the Jews have taken it? By the time of Jesus, Jesus' religious leaders had codified the Sabbath. I reckon it would have been very unpleasant. They'd actually come up with 39 different types of things that you cannot do on the Sabbath. 39 types of work that are off limits. And along comes Jesus. Here we are in Matthew chapter 12. Along comes Jesus with his disciples. And pick it up with me. Open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. Look what happens. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. You see what's happened? The the spiritual policemen have busted the disciples. Uh, They've been caught red-handed. They have broken the Sabbath rule. They are collecting grain. And so the controversy starts... Are they guilty or are they innocent? And Jesus starts his answer in verse 3 and he kind of sidesteps the debate initially and he points to two interesting precedents in the Old Testament, did you notice? The first one relates to King David, the second one relates to priests. But pick up the first one first, King David, 
He actually pulls out the poster boy, if you like, of the Old Testament. If you're a Jew, you honour uh, King David was one of the great kings. Uh, not a perfect king, but he was one of the great kings. David, Jesus says, is not a priest. He's a king. And when he and his friends were hungry, they went into the temple and they did what was not lawful. They ate the consecrated bread. And yet, they were not condemned. How can that be? Look at verse 3. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he, he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. And they are not priests. How, how does that work? Well, second example is the example Jesus gives of the Old Testament priests. They're the Old Testament priests. They worked on the Sabbath. That was their job. That was their big day. Kind of reminds me of a friend of mine who reckons Sunday's the only day that I work. Um, we're still friends, kind of. How come the Old Testament priest does his work on the Sabbath but doesn't break the Sabbath? Now look at verse 5. Haven't you read in the law and the, and the, that the priests on the Sabbath day uh, do their duty in the temple... So how does it, haven't you read in the, in the law that the priests on, on the Sabbath... Let me read it from my Bible, <laughs> verse 5. Uh, well, haven't you read in the law that the priests on, on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? That's what it looks like. How, does, how can that be? How can you appear to break the law and be declared innocent? What do you think? What do you think? Are the disciples innocent or are the disciples guilty i reckon there's there's three possible answers uh you could say they are guilty you could agree with the pharisees they are breaking the rules but if you say that jesus is also guilty that's significant because later on jesus heals on the sabbath in this passage so so jesus is guilty as well jesus has broken the sabbath or secondly you could say another possible answer is Jesus is breaking the Sabbath, but he's allowed to. He's the only one allowed to. But I reckon that's problematic too, isn't it? Jesus is meant to be the spotless one, the perfect law keeper who stands in our place. How can he be a law breaker? That doesn't work. Or the third option, Jesus and his disciples haven't broken the law at all, the problem is with the Pharisees and the problem is with us. We've actually misunderstood Jesus and we've misunderstood the law. And that's the, that's the, the third option. That's where Jesus goes. So I think you know that that's the right answer. You've misunderstood me. You've misunderstood the law. Let's have a look at that. So two gross misunderstandings. The first is Jesus wants to tell us who he is. Uh, Jesus actually compares himself to King David and the priests. And what's the conclusion? Someone greater than King David is here. Uh, if David was innocent, if it's true for David, how much more is it true for me? The Son of Man is here. The King of Kings is here. Someone greater than the priests is here. Jesus See, Jesus is taking this opportunity to say something profound about himself. Look at verse 6. He says, Something 
greater than the temple is here. That is a huge, huge statement. How could there be anything greater than the temple? The temple is the place where God dwells. The temple is the place where you will meet God. What is Jesus saying about himself? He's saying, in him, the fullness of God dwells. You're meeting God when you meet Jesus. In him, you will meet the living God. Someone greater than the temple is here. And Jesus has the right to do as he pleases. He is greater than King David. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the temple. Now, let me ask you a question. Of all the visitors to Australia, who do you think are the greatest lawbreakers of all time? I want to say it's the Queen. Have a look at the Queen for a moment. It's been a while since she's come to Australia. Um, But when she does come... She stands up in, in her car. <laughs> We're not allowed to do that, yeah? It's not that she doesn't, she doesn't wear a seatbelt, but she stands up. Uh, that's right. There's some Republicans out there. Um, she goes through red lights. She goes and visits all these venues and places. She doesn't pay for her ticket. And, and, and the police let her go. They, they don't arrest her. They even escort her to these venues, they go beside her. What's going on? She's, she's never arrested because she's the queen. So it seems that the rules get applied in a particular way because of who she is. And Jesus turns up and says, you want to talk about the Sabbath? Verse 7, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. I own the Sabbath. I wrote the commandment of the Sabbath. It's it's kind of the Jewish way of saying, I am God. I am here and you're questioning me about the Sabbath. I know what it means. I have the right to interpret it. I made the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, don't mishear that. It's not Jesus like a bad boss. You know, someone who's abusive who says, the rules apply to everyone else, but because I'm the boss... I'm going to make everyone else do it, but I don't need to do it. No, rather it's the person, the author of the Sabbath, the one who truly understands the Sabbath, has turned up. Uh, In Old Testament terms, again, it, it is, here is Jehovah, God. He is the one whose interpretation is God's interpretation. It's a bit like... um. You know when you have your favourite song and you have your interpretation of the song, you love that song, you play that song, and you know what that song means until you meet someone who also loves that song, who has a different interpretation of the song. And then you realise they're the author of the song, that they are right, it's their song. And that you are wrong. You're the one with the problem. You're the one who needs to change. And that's the religious leaders. Maybe that's you as you think about the Sabbath. They've just met the Lord of the Sabbath. They've got it wrong. But they refuse to change. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I reckon that happens every time you meet Jesus. Every time you open your Bible and meet Jesus and his teaching, you realise, I am wrong. 
And Jesus is right. See, being a disciple of Jesus is a very humbling experience because you're going to keep coming across the words of Jesus, Jesus' worldview, as you listen to Jesus and realise, I've got it wrong. Jesus is right and Jesus is good and I'm going to follow Jesus. So there's the first answer to their question, you don't understand who I am. Second answer to the question is, Jesus says, you don't even get the law. Uh, He says in verse 7, if you'd you'd understood this phrase, I deserve mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't be entering into this debate. I desire mercy and sacrifice. Really important phrase. It comes from Hosea chapter 6. It's also in uh, Matthew chapter 9, when people are getting cranky with Jesus for hanging out with sinners. God, get this, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, you might remember when we did our Hosea series, if you were with us, um, the, the word uh, mercy in Hosea is hesed. Hesed love is who God is. It's that word that means in Hebrew, deep, deep, rich mercy. That's who God is. That's what God loves. And you should understand that behind all of the law is mercy, this deep mercy. Behind the law of the Sabbath, behind the Lord of the Sabbath, is mercy. He's a merciful God. And so when you think Sabbath, you should think merciful, deep, deep, merciful God who wants to do you good. It's, it's actually more than just good lifestyle advice that you should work six days and take one day off. Uh, do you remember back in Genesis? God made the world in six days and the seventh day he rested, but you notice the seventh day doesn't end. It's actually God's intention that we get ushered into this seventh day, this beautiful creation to enjoy it. All that God has worked for and made, enjoy that. There is the beautiful rest. There's a picture of what rest looks like. But it it gets messed up, doesn't it? In Genesis chapter 3, it all falls over at the fall. It's only Jesus, in his mercy, that will restore rest for us as human beings at the cross. But just remember, God is merciful and he wants you to rest. Mercy sits behind the Sabbath. It's, It's the very reason why Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Why he shows mercy to a man in a broken world with a shriveled hand. He's not breaking the Sabbath. There couldn't be anything more appropriate to do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is there to do good, to show mercy. God desires mercy. And do you notice, it's not that the Pharisees weren't merciful. They were merciful. They were merciful to animals, to pets, did you notice? Verse 11 Jesus says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? You will. You do show mercy towards some. It's the animals that you gain income from. You are merciful when it's to your advantage. Verse 12, Jesus says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? You have it all wrong. You, what a warped view of the world you have. Animal, of course animals are valuable. 
They're actually, did you notice, they're actually part of the Sabbath rest. Make, your, make sure all your animals rest too. Don't flog your animals seven days a week. That's abusive. But more valuable are human beings. Now, I'm not, the, the Pharisees don't get it, and I'm not sure our culture gets it. I'm sure you've noticed there is a serious and concerning blurring of the distinction between the value of animals and the value of human beings in our culture. I reckon such that we treat humans like animals and animals like humans. Uh, Isn't it interesting that our culture can show a lot of support for a law that will put down the terminally ill? It feels like in a similar way that you'd put down your dog. Now, all of creation is good. All of creation is valuable. But Jesus is saying it's not of all equal rank. You might get that from evolution. The evolution might say to you that the fly you kill with your hand is as valuable as you are. But Jesus is saying no. No, it's not. You are of much more value. Now, you, you might have noticed this is, we take these kind of things for granted, I guess, from a uh, Christian perspective, but you might have noticed it's not the case in other religions. Uh, in India, dominated by Hinduism, uh, it was very clear to me when I visited India that if you uh, hit on the road a cow, the sacred cow in Hinduism, uh, the pastor I was staying with said, I reckon it's pretty much the same as hitting a child. It's going to have the same implications in law, in court. Be very careful when you drive on the road. Don't hit a child, but don't hit a cow. I reckon it's also affected us in the Western world as well. I heard a story a few years ago, 2016. A child at a zoo somehow got into the enclosure with this rare species of gorilla. Obviously, that child's life was, at, uh, at, was threatened. Um, the, one of the attendants, the zookeeper, came out, uh, took a weapon and shot the gorilla. Now, sad, sad story, that, but the child survived. But, you know, there was pushback in the community about what that person did in shooting the gorilla. Should he have done that? That's about value, isn't it? Reminds me of a story uh, of a lady that I, I did the funeral for her, her mum. Uh, she, her mum was six weeks away from her 100th birthday. Uh, huge um, opportunity. She was going to receive the letter from the Queen, uh, but she passed away six weeks before her 100th birthday. Uh, this lady said to me that um, she really has given up on human, she was in grief over her mum, but she said, you know, honestly, across life, I've given up on human relationships. Um, all, all my relationships have soured, I feel burnt. Um, I've given up on God. Um, she said to me, Michael, I, I don't like people. In fact, I particularly don't like my neighbour, Kevin. Uh, he's made life really bad for me. And at the funeral, I want you to stand up and say to everyone, if he turns up, there's someone here that made life hell for my mum. Um, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> we had a conversation prior. 
But she said, you know, there is someone that I really do love. It's my dog. And she said, you know, um, I love my dog so much that if there was a person in the gutter and there was a dog injured in the gutter, my dog was injured in the gutter, I would go to my dog first before the person. Unless it was my neighbour, Kevin, then I'd step on Kevin to get to my dog. Now, that was funny, interesting. We had a long conversation, but it's part of our frail, human, warped perspective of value. Not wrong to love animals, value animals, save whales. But you've got to ask the question, haven't you, to spend millions of dollars saving a whale and let abortion go unnoticed. How much more valuable is a human, Jesus says? The purpose of the Sabbath is to do good. God is good. Rest is good. Have mercy like God is merciful. Now the Pharisees don't want to do good, do they? Have you noticed at the end of this passage, they actually want to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. It's not that they just don't want to do good, they want to do evil on the Sabbath. They've criticised Jesus for acting in mercy. What do they want to do? They start plotting Jesus' death. And there is religious hypocrisy, isn't it? There is where religion takes you. It's the patheticness of religion. It's the powerlessness of religion, the immorality of religion, the inconsistency of self-justifying religion. Because that's what religion does, doesn't it? It kind of makes you a stickler for the rules, but you miss the whole point of the rule. Uh, it, it makes you obey the law, but you actually ignore the good law keeper, which is what the law is for. Uh, you keep the letter of the law and you make everyone else do it, you judge everyone else, but you completely miss the spirit of the law. God desires mercy. Don't miss that. In fact, if you've never experienced the mercy of God, can I encourage you, even today, know the mercy of God, that God is merciful towards you. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he died, that your sins might be forgiven, that you can be forgiven. Come to him, even today. Know the mercy of God. Now, there's something else here in Matthew. Uh, I, I didn't notice it at first, but it's really interesting that this Sabbath day, the, the one day of rest, is actually, we know it from the rest of the Bible, is actually a picture of a much bigger rest. And it's actually here in Matthew as well. Uh, Paul says in Colossians, the Sabbath is actually, think about the Sabbath day, it's actually a shadow of the reality. The reality is Christ. Uh, the, the real rest is in Him. If you want 24-7 rest, come to Jesus. The Sabbath day rest, that's the baby rest. The big rest is in Jesus. And it's there in the end of chapter 11. I'd never noticed it before. But just before this fierce debate on Sabbath and rest, Jesus says, let me give you rest. Look at it, verse 28 of chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is rest for your souls. See, Jesus can say that because he's actually going, his work 
talking about work, his work at the cross wins rest for us. The rest that is salvation. That we never have to, again, strive to please God and win his approval. We can be forgiven. We're truly loved. We're truly forgiven. God has been merciful to us. We can truly, as human beings, have rest in him. That is beautiful. That is rest. And as we think about practicalities this morning, can I say that adds another dimension to your rest day? You want to refresh yourself. You want to, take, you want to down tools. Uh, you want to enjoy what God has made. You want to enjoy it with other people. You want to enjoy it even better if you can enjoy it with other uh, fellow disciples of Jesus. But also, it's a taste of the rest to come. This is where all of life is heading, if you're a disciple of Jesus. A rest in him that never ends. Just take a breather once a week. Remember that. The rest to come. God loves mercy. Uh, He wants us to do good on the Sabbath. Do good to others. Be agents of blessing to others. Be generous and merciful to our brothers and sisters, to our world, to, to share how merciful God is. And there's lots to learn from Jesus here, isn't there? I take it, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you'll work hard, you'll earn your keep, and you'll rest well. And even though Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath, and we thankfully haven't got caught up in the hypocrisy of the religious Pharisees, it doesn't mean that the Sabbath has nothing to say to us as a pattern living in this fallen world. Um, I reckon that's good for us to think about. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Work diligently. Laziness doesn't please God. But neither does workaholism. It is really good for us to down tools for a day, to actually trust God. He's got it covered. Don't panic. I don't need to earn more, even if interest rates go up. Um, And it's worth thinking into that. How do you... Protect rest in your life as a disciple of Jesus. Um, you know, when I first started working as a civil engineer, I had just a brilliant boss who was a Christian man who I think taught me a great work ethic and a great rest ethic as well and a great ministry ethic. Uh, there he was. He set the company up so that we all worked five days a week and we worked hard. We worked within the hours that we were meant to work And he did the same, he modelled it to us. We actually worked five paid days, not six, because he wanted us to have time for our family. He wanted time as a Christian man to be part of his church and do ministry within his church. So I think he was thinking, I've kind of got another day up my sleeve to play with during the week and on the weekend to do ministry, part of the kingdom work that that I don't do explicitly during the week as an engineer, and then I just want to have a down tools time as well. And so that's how he organised his week and that's how he encouraged us. And it was fantastic. Now it does put us out of step with our culture, doesn't it? Uh, you would have noticed as much as I've noticed that this pattern of work then rest, work then rest is getting lost in our culture. Uh, the idea that you'd go seven days or at least your business would go seven days uh, is normalised. Uh, we've actually given in to greed, haven't we, as, as a community or 
consumerism, materialism. And even if, even if we've got the perfect work balance, we actually like it that others perhaps don't because then I can shop seven days a week or whenever I want or I can consume whenever I want or go to a restaurant whenever I want. Um, really interesting, isn't it? Can you imagine what it would be like if the vast majority of Wollongong downed tools for one day a week and the same day? Can you imagine what that would be like? Would that be a positive thing? Would that be a good thing? I reckon that would have a lot of positive benefits. I was struggling actually to think about negatives. I said the vast majority. We do need some people to work. But take it a step further because you can still shop online, yeah, at home. Imagine the internet just gets shut down for a day. (laughs) Now we're really talking, right? Why don't you try that this week? Why don't you prove that you are really resting and not addicted to social media and the internet and switch off the internet for a day? How could that not, all of that, transform our relationships? How awesome would that be for the way we connect with each other? Now, I'm not saying we, we're going to go back in time. We're not going to go back in time, but we've lost something and we need to make sure that we don't go with the flow there. God is good. God is merciful. Uh, let, me, let me finish with this, this story from Japan. I remember um, uh, a good friend of mine, we met when we were teenagers, we... Um, grew up in two different countries, but we stayed in uh, connection with each other. He's going into the workforce in Japan, I'm going to the, into the workforce in Australia, and we were talking. i never forget the shock on his face when he realised most Aussies have two, a two-day weekend. Uh, most Aussies have four weeks annual leave and then public holidays. Uh, he had five days annual leave uh, across his year. Uh, I don't think there was very many public holidays... Uh, he used to ring me up and say, I'm coming to Australia, um, this is Tuesday, I'm coming on Thursday and I'm leaving on the following Tuesday. Um, I've got five days, oh, what do you want to do? I want to see Australia. <laughs> uh, it's a completely different view of rest and work and it made me realise that Japan hasn't been influenced by that Christian culture as we have and they are worse off for it, I think. God is good. How good is it that God has designed rest for us? How merciful and kind is God? Uh, Do good on your Sabbath day. Refresh yourself. I I take Friday, um, or Friday, as I've recently learned. Um, So I work six days, I take that day off, I try to, I I feel like I'm getting better at not seeing it as a day to self-serve, but to serve others, to do good, to enjoy God's creation. Uh, it is the day that I visit family, I visit my mum. Uh, it's the day that I want to do more good to, to my teenage daughters. Uh, but do take that day, refresh yourself, don't judge others uh, in the way they use the day. Remind yourself of the ultimate rest that is to come. Take that opportunity to do that. Um, I reckon rest and rest days centre you. They actually say to you, Life is more than work. This world is heading for a place where there is true rest, even rest now in Jesus. Uh, We don't live to work, we work so we might rest. Um, 
just like we wait our whole lives for that rest to come. God is good. God is merciful. Let me pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and merciful God. Father, thank you for the patterns that you've set up in creation. Uh, Thank you for rest and work. Lord, please help us as we think into this pattern for our lives. Uh, Thank you that you are the one who came in the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who came to do good and show us mercy, the one who truly brings us rest for our souls. Uh, Lord, keep reminding us of this rest in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, and remind us of that great day coming uh, where we will truly rest for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.